0: Welcome to Volunteer Plane Talk Podcast, the podcast for today's leaders of volunteers. Your host is me, Meridian Swift. and welcome back to Volunteer Plane Talk. My guest is a Navy commander, Dr. Corinne Devon. And first of all, uh, Corinne, I would like to thank you for your service to our country. And thank you for being on Volunteer Plane Talk podcast.
1: Can you tell us a little bit
0: about yourself?
1: Absolutely. And uh, thank you so much for the warm welcome. I just want to say, first and foremost, these views are views of my own. They're not views of the department of Defense. And I'm here to, just to tell you a little bit about my story and also inspire, engage and um, educate your audience. I am a board certified orthodontist. I'm also a United States Naval officer and I practice in Catania, Italy, Sicily. And besides being an able commander and orthodontist, another thing I also do is I do a lot of community service and my community service is a little unconventional compared to what the community service maybe I did when I was younger, such as I go to local Italian schools, I've spoken in Germany, I've educated youth there. And also, I traveled to Morocco where I've been to a country where I don't speak the native languages, yet I had to find ways how to educate the youth. And something that I look forward to sharing with your audience is really how to plant that seed of determination within our youth and also doing it through volunteering today. So thank you for having me.
0: Oh, it is absolutely our pleasure. And Corinne, you've done a a lot of volunteering, clearly, but also volunteering overseas. Do you find from your experiences, both experiences, do you find that there's a great deal of difference between volunteering overseas? Some people term it volunteerism, some people term it missions. Do you find that there's a great deal of difference between volunteering overseas or in a different country versus volunteering right at home with an established organization?
1: Absolutely. That's a great question. And what I'll tell you is that when you want to volunteer overseas, there is a few things that you have to do that necessarily you wouldn't have to do in your hometown or even your home country. Um, First, the thing that I would tell your audience um, or your volunteers or your managers is to enroll themselves or their group into what's called the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. And uh, these are links that I'll send you so that way you can post it in the podcast details and share with um, your audience. But the great thing about this website is that when you roll into this website and you provide them details of where you're going, it automatically enrolls you into that embassy. So let's say, for example, when I went to Morocco, I enrolled my name in this program. I provided the location and a phone number of how they could reach me. And then I received email notifications. And this was Marrakech. That was the closest Embassy in Morocco. So if there was going to be a local demonstration or if there was any travel alerts or warning or advisories, I received those notifications ahead of time. So I was not only informed, but I was an educated traveler and could be very proactive on, you know, the steps I would do, whether I was in a volunteer setting or maybe after volunteering, as you mentioned, you would do some sightseeing and touring of the country. The other two links that I would recommend is what is called the Electronic Foreign, Foreign Clearance Guide. And what that does is that gives you an idea of the state of the country. It allows you to know what maybe vaccinations you need, if there's any medications to have good on hand, and also the State Department. Between those three, you really have yourselves covered as making sure that you've kind of got your ducks in line, but also you're volunteering safely and educated, which I think is very, very important. I, um, in my most recent experience when I volunteered overseas, I went through a company called Cross Culture Solutions. And really what made me go with them is they had a uh, history of having volunteer groups come with them. And they also were in partnership with other volunteer organizations, such as the Junior League. And for me, that spoke volumes because of another nonprofit validating and working cohesively with another, to me, just gave it that much more, um, I guess you could say it up the ante for me volunteering with them.
0: Corinne, what attracted you to volunteering overseas?
1: So over the reason I chose volunteering overseas is, one, um, I am stationed overseas, so traveling to Africa, traveling within Europe was a much closer flight and a much cheaper flight than, let's say, traveling back to my own country. And for me, I wanted to be in a place where I really put myself outside of the comfort zone. And that's what I did. I went to a country where they spoke Arabic and French, and I've been learning Italian and I know some Spanish, but obviously English is my primary language. And so for me, this really challenged me. And I think that's where greatness comes from is when you go outside your comfort zone. So that was, that was probably, probably some of the main reasons I chose to volunteer overseas. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that, that I love that. Putting yourself outside your comfort zone. I think for any volunteer, uh, when they come to an organization, I always found when I was training volunteers that once they crossed the threshold, in other words, once our front doors opened and they stepped over that line into our organization, they've already challenged themselves. And all I was doing was harnessing the challenge they put out to themselves to make a difference. And And it was scary. It's scary to volunteer sometimes because, you know, you're dealing with people who are vulnerable. So how do we harness, Corinne, how do we harness that kind of challenge to self and, and let people know, hey, Take that first step.
1: Well, what I would tell you is you're right. It is scary. Anything you do the first time where you've never done before was scary. And I had all of those nervous, anxious feelings run through me because I had to teach close to 100 children between the ages of three and five a plan every single day. And I'm not a professor. I'm not a teacher. I'm an orthodontist. I put my hands in people's mouths so they don't even get to talk. Or as we know, we go to the dentist, they pretend to say something. And believe it or not, most of the time we're so used to hearing it. We do understand, but this is different. And so what I did is I actually reached out to my Italian professor and I asked for help. And I think that's something that you have to do is really ask for help. And I communicated a lot with the organization that I went. I wanted to know what were the lessons learned. And so for me... It to get over that first step means is you got to ask for help and keep asking for help until you get the help you need to feel like you you will do well. Now the beauty of volunteering is you know that any change you make, that one step going up, that one flight upstairs is going to be way better than you just staying where you're at. And what I would tell you is that every day that you work on this, you're becoming a better version of yourself. I know that's hard. It's scary. It's never easy. But the more you do it, you'll be surprised, um, what you're capable of.
0: I love that because I would think that, that folks would look at someone like you who is so highly accomplished and has done so much and say, you know, it dismiss it by saying, well, that's Corinne. Corinne is just one of these people who just, you know, magically get through life and, you know, everything works out for them because they, they have that within them. But you're telling us that you, like everybody else, you have your doubts and you have your nervousness, right?
1: Absolutely. I, I will tell you when I was about ready to go on this Morocco mission. Um, I found out that the local American guide I was going to work with was no longer there. I found out the president that was also going to be there was over in Greece helping them build up their um, mission, their project there. So literally, I get off an airplane, knowing that no one in this house that I'm staying with can speak English except for the um, I think she's called the house manager. So it was really, really scary, and I'm in a country where they have a different view of women than they do in my own country. However, that being said, the looks in these kids' eyes, the way the teachers were at this school that I helped and I taught at, made all those feelings go away. Because when you give people your time and you give people your gifts, your, your mind can only hold one thought. It can hold a positive and a negative thought at the same time. So if you fill it with things that make you feel good, You don't have the capacity to think about those things that don't. So every day I put together a lesson plan. I And I'll tell you, in a country where they don't speak your language at all, I did learn some Arabic. I did learn some French. And I taught kids things where they could touch, where they could do an activity, where they could sing. My laptop became my tool that I would play YouTube Videos that were educated and, um, age specific that would reinforce the exercises. I had a small Ryanair European sized carry on that I carried all my materials for 100 kids for five days of teaching. And I'll tell you, it was definitely not without challenge getting there, going through the Ministry of Health. But once I was there, it made it all worth it to see the looks on those kids' faces. Tell me a
0: little bit, if you can, about the the volunteer management. How how were you engaged with uh, cultural solutions? Uh, what what helped you get through some of the tougher times? Or and and how did they show impact? Obviously, the impact uh, you know you saw it daily in the faces of the children.
1: Well, for starters, they informed me that when they had new leadership in the company, they moved locations. And in the current location, they hadn't had a volunteer for four months. And the previous volunteers that they had were teachers. So they were really excited to have someone who was a dentist come there. And with every volunteer that came before, they would all leave their supplies. So it was kind of neat that I could go on a scavenger hunt and kind of put together arts and crafts for the kids. I um, The thing that I really liked was that because – um, I was there. The house manager, the chef in the house and the driver, they always made sure to do some sort of uh, educational um, learning activity with me every day from cooking local cuisine, from taking me out in the towns, the local parks. Um, they really did what they could to make me feel as comfortable and as welcomed as possible. Um, granted, you know, the, the power and utilities and the heating and insulin is very, very different than it's what we're experienced in the U S or in Western countries, but I really appreciate how they went out of their way to make me feel welcomed. And, um, and really, I, I even got a little, I got, even got a little bit of stomach flu there and they really went to bat just to make sure that, um, that I was at my best for these kids. And to me, that is, that is such a blessing in so many ways.
0: What we might be able to take away from that, too, is that we as organizations who are asking volunteers to step forward need to care about the volunteers as human beings. Beyond what they're giving, we need to care about them as people and make sure that they're filled up with uh, well-being and education and things of that nature.
1: Absolutely, and and one other thing that was really helpful that I um, that the house manager did, and I and I still talked to her today. In fact, she's got a YouTube channel cooking all her amazing food. Is she provided me the information of the volunteers that were coming after me? It was a mother daughter that were coming later, um, a few weeks later, and so I was able to email them and give them real time advice of you know what to pack, what to bring, what not to bring. For example, I remembered crayons were such a hard thing in the country for some reason the crayons these kids would use would simply fall apart so I told her if there was one thing that these kids loved to do was coloring and were able to make copies there so here you could bring just a simple piece of coloring paper uh, that you the kids use to color but bringing crayons was such um, a helpful thing in this. I remember the mother and daughter were so grateful because things they thought they were going to bring, they didn't and other things they didn't even think about brought. So that's something I would definitely stress to the volunteer managers is, you know, have your current volunteers, have them hear from previous volunteers and also, you know, do that favor of passing those lessons learned along the way, because it makes people feel like they're really taken care of. And it's also um, being proactive, which is something I think that any volunteer organization can benefit from.
0: That, that is great advice. Uh, volunteers helping volunteers. And I've always been a proponent of having volunteers as mentors for other volunteers. So you actually mentored the mother and daughter team that were coming and let them know, gave them good information. And, and, and that actually builds like a chain of volunteers with more prepared volunteers showing up, right?
1: Absolutely. And then, you know, also, it makes people feel taken care of. Um, one of the things that I, I told the mother and daughter coming is um, there was an antibiotic that I recommended they they get. So just again, from a preventative medicine point, um, just something to have on hand, just in case, because unfortunately, in Africa, the bugs are a little bit different than they what are they in the States. And just as anyone who's traveling from Africa to the US would have the same thing, it's vice versa. So that was something that I um, I remember learning, and I, I really was glad I was able to pass along those information because let's be honest, no one wants to be sick when they're volunteering. You <laughs> yeah. want to have your you want to be focused mentally, physically, and and be healthy because you want to make the most impact while you're there.
0: Corinne, did you hear from the obviously you did from the mother daughter letting you know hey all of your advice was really great and we're doing better than we would have. That was kind of more validation for you, right?
1: Absolutely. And I think it also benefited the organization because they could really see, okay, what are the areas we need to work on and improve? And what are the areas we're doing well? And what are some of the surprise areas we didn't even know about that we were working on? But just being in the same environment every single day, it's easy to become complacent and not notice something versus your volunteers who come in who are brand new and really don't have um, those complacent eyes yet because everything is new and exciting and different than what they're used to on their day-to-day lives.
0: Yeah, that's great. It's it's perspective. And, and I noticed that um, after years of being in volunteer management, that I would just simply gloss over things that a new person would be like, wait a minute, I have no idea what you're talking about. So that is excellent advice. I'd like to pivot if we could to leadership. Would you tell our listeners, the you are a commander in the United States Navy, which is not an easy rank to attain. How many women commanders are there in the United States Navy?
1: Well, I actually learned when I put on the rank last year that only 0.29% of all females in the Navy make that rank, which was surprising to me because we are in 2020, Um, I thought there would be more than that, but even here in Italy, women were not allowed to join the military until the year 2000. So I'm very humbled and very honored, but I know as a leader and with this rank comes with a lot of responsibility. And as I tell most people, my rank is for two things. It's to take care of my people and to take care of my patients. Other than that, they can have the parking spot and the, uh, Oak leaf,
0: you know, it's, it's kind of broad and easy to say, oh, what is your leadership um, advice to us? But Truly, volunteer managers have been in the shadows for for many, many years. We perceive ourselves as having an awful lot to offer, and we do have conviction and want to, as, as you say, you can keep the parking spot, you can keep the title, really. We just want respect for our programs and our initiatives and our volunteers and what we do to contribute to our organizations. Having said that, what do you think is a, a way to become a leader and get the message across that what I'm leading is valuable for instance your leadership as a commander a female commander in the United States Navy is extremely valuable so that other women can follow your path
1: i will tell you becoming a leader in any organization it takes time It is, it's not something that you are just born. It is something that you have to learn every single day. And very often as leaders, we have to give away all the credit and we have to take all the responsibility because people are entrusting us with that position to lead people. And that's kind of hard because who wants to give away all the credit and have all the problems? No one does, but that's part of being a leader. And the other thing that I would say that's really, um, that I've learned and grown is my background in college was actually a communications major. And that has really helped evolve my leadership over the years, especially the fact that I've had to be a leader, not just in the United States, but in Asia and now Europe. And one thing that I've had to do, especially, um, in my last few years is change the way I communicate, depending on who I'm talking to. Because not only is it important for people to listen, but it's important for people to understand us. You want to be, you want to listen to understand, not listen just to be heard. And what I mean by that is some of the fellow officers I speak to are from my parents' generation. And other officers I speak to are from the millennial or from the Generation Z. And sometimes I can only give. I have to speak to people in a certain way than I would other people, whether it's my dental assistant versus another officer versus someone in the community. But at the end of the day, what matters is were you able to were you able to be understood? And was that mission or that task you wanted to have done? And sometimes that's hard because you expect everyone to just do the way you do it. If you can juggle 10 things, they should be able to juggle 10 things. And it doesn't work that way. Thank goodness we are not all the exact same people in this world because we would be butting heads all the time. That would be really, really, really hard. But, you know, I I really stress to people that's something that you really have to constantly work on and, and learn to take criticism, learn to listen. And, and sometimes that's allowing other people to speak and you just sit back and write it all down because if people feel acknowledged, if they feel they've been heard, even if you have to tell them, no, you can do it in a way where they'll be like, you know what? I don't agree with that, but at least I understand the reason why. And that makes people feel much better. And it gives you more confidence in your ability to lead. Um, you know, if you're talking to one person or talking to a group of people.
0: That, that is great advice because volunteer managers have uh, what we call difficult conversations with volunteers. Meaning, you know, someone comes in and they're donating their time, they're giving freely of their time and their selves, and then we have to reprimand them or we have to sometimes fire them, and just this sense of, gosh, this person came here and gave freely, and now I'm being a bad guy by telling you no, you can't be here anymore but what you're saying is if we can make them understand or at least hear them then we have a better chance of them parting as being heard right
1: and another thing that i always tell people is you know give give people options in my current position you know there is times where i can't say yes to everyone and i just i just be really honest i acknowledge people like I get it. You're frustrated. I am frustrated too. I want to say yes to X, Y, and Z, but this isn't my clinic. This is United States Navy, or this is not my hospital, or this is not my organization. Cause most of these organizations that I help with work with, I, you know, I'm not the CEO in charge, but I think when you first acknowledge how people feel like where you can relate to them and they can feel that you are empathetic on the same ground, I think that's a step in the positive direction. And then next is really giving people choices and say, you know what, let's focus on what we can control. Let's focus on what we can do. And we can do option A or option B, you know, which of those sound good to you. And as a leader, you know, you're going to be happy with either of those options. And so when it comes to letting go, let's say a volunteer, perhaps it's not them leaving your organization, but it's giving them the time and space to volunteer an organization where they are better fit. They're a better match. And where they can make more impact. So that to me is where being partnered up with other nonprofits or having that network that they already have of reaching out to say, you know what, this person just doesn't make sense here. But gosh, you know, they are so they're not so good people, but I bet they are so amazing with animals. Let me see if this is going to be a place where they can feel that they're really feeling their time is being valued. And that's what people want. today. they want to feel valued.
0: I love that. That is, that is so great. I'll, I'll tell you, in my career, one of the most difficult things for me was and and in a larger organization, you have politics and you have a chain of command and and all of that. And so if I had a volunteer who wanted to start, you know, a, a, let's say a band or something, you know, let's get a musical group together and we'll start a band and we'll tour the country, you know, you know, that's not going to fly. And so it was so hard to explain to volunteers, no, we can't just run amok and do anything we want. So I love your uh, suggestion that, you know, you give people options or you find a better spot for them. That is great advice. Thank you for that.
1: Of course. My pleasure.
0: Okay. And so, you know, you, you mentioned talking to people, you know, uh, of different generations and people in different leadership roles. So when you're talking to superiors, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, and you're trying to advocate for those that you are in command of, are there some tips you have for for getting the point across, uh, being understood?
1: I would tell you the first thing is do your homework, do your research. Um, You know, everything that I do as an orthodontist, there is laws, there's rules by the Center of Disease Control by OSHA, um, same thing in the Navy. We have instructions. We have guidance. And I would imagine that's the same thing in any volunteer organization. It's really good to know what are the rules out there? What are the state rules that you practice or the country rules? And then if you know those rules, when you go into an argument, it's hard to argue with facts. It's hard to argue with statistics. So if you come ready into that room, prepared to answer any question they may throw at you, you're going to feel more confident. You're not going to be nervous. And you're going to really feel like you're putting your best foot forward. So, you know, that's what I've always prepped to do. And that way I know that even if I present all the facts and we just can't seem to agree or they just don't seem to agree with my ideas and they have their ideas and, and what they'd like to do instead, at least I know in my heart that I gave it my best shot. And, and the other thing that I do is I also try to know your audience that you're speaking to, because if I'm speaking to someone in my parents' generation I am going to think of pop media. I'm gonna think of examples where they can resonate, where they can relate to, versus if I'm speaking to someone who's in their 20s or teens, I'm gonna think of something that is going to influence them. For example, as an orthodontist, I treat a lot of teenagers. And teenagers are an addict when it comes to their iPhone, an addict comes to social media. So a lot of my teenage boys who choose not to wear their rubber bands or choose not to wear their headgear, I make them do pushups and I have their moms film it on social media and post it and tag me. And when they refuse to do it, I actually go draw, I take my off my white coat, I drop down and I do 50 pushups so they know that if they can do it, their doctor who is half their size is doing it right there. And that will make them very quick not to forget their headgear or their rubber bands at their next appointment. So again, it goes back to knowing your audience.
0: I, I just have this vision of, of you doing push-ups. You
1: Oh, it works <laughs> out every time. It works out every time. But yeah. I, I don't let them sass me. No, I do not. I don't we don't serve disrespect where I work. No, not at all. Totally fine.
0: Corinna, I love that image. That image of you doing push-ups and and shaming uh, people who are younger than, than you into uh, wearing their headgear. That, that's absolutely fabulous.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. They, they remember not to forget it and their parents love it. And you know what? That's where social media from their phone can be used as a powerful tool to educate and also inspire them to remember to bring it next time.
0: Yeah, because for volunteer managers and for anyone working in the nonprofit sector, using social media is just absolutely the most important thing we can do at this point, right?
1: And, you know, the thing is that I would tell people to be very clear, you know, what their social media is about. Um, You know, one thing that I, I tell as a leader and I share this with everyone that I work with and lead is I don't put anything on social media that I wouldn't want my mother to see because let's be honest, you know in five years, ten years we may be working with a different organization. you know life is a roller coaster, you know things we never thought could happen could happen such as a pandemic in 2020 <laughs> um, And I think when we look back on it you know it's it's almost like a scrapbook, a digital scrapbook or a video resume that we'll have. And so this is a tool that you can use and wheel to your own benefit. and hey for me it's been a great way for me to influence my patients but also inspire them to um, be the best version of themselves.
0: This has been very instructive, uh, Corinne. Thank you so much. Um, I've learned a lot about leadership, um, sharing volunteers, uh, being mentors for volunteers coming behind you, how that helps the organization. Just At this point, I just want to ask you, is there anything else that you would like the listeners to hear or understand? Anything about leadership or about volunteer management or volunteering overseas?
1: you know, whenever you have someone who's interested, you know, find out what their skill set is. Um, if people look me up, they would never guess when they meet me that I'm a naval officer. I have blonde hair, blue eyes. I'm five foot three, but I may be small, but I pack a lot of dynamite. And I say this to people because besides doing those things, I'm also an international beauty queen. And I mention that not because I'm, I'm trying to brag, but simply just to show it's another skill set. It's another group that I market to that I influence that I speak to daily, that I can in turn be as a resource and an untapped resource that I can in turn bring to the organization. So I would tell that when they reach out to the volunteers, you know, find out, you know, what other skills do you have? Things that may not even be related to organization because you might be able to find something they already do that could actually help you in an area organization that maybe you haven't advertised to your volunteers or you know is something in the works. So that's definitely one thing that I would definitely tell um volunteer management and also, you know, partner with other organizations, there is strength in numbers. And I have to thank junior league for getting me in touch with cross-culture solutions, because if it wasn't for that friendship that they already had, I, I wouldn't have not known about that organization. And to me, it's, it goes both ways. So that's something I would definitely recommend to all of your volunteer managers and the companies um, that they work for.
0: Yeah, that is great advice. Networking, partnering, strength in numbers, all of that is, is I think where volunteer management is headed and sharing volunteers, being a force together within the community. I kind of tell volunteer managers that look at yourself as owning your own company really within a system. And so once you think of yourself as an entrepreneur who has a maybe a temporary agency of, of human beings, or however you want a workforce, however you want to look at that, once you look at yourself as an entrepreneur, you're going to connect a network with other entrepreneurs. And together, you have shared values and shared goals that you can support one another. And you have to always, almost detach yourself from your organization a little bit in order to look at yourself that way. And I kind of look at you that way. You're sort of your own brand.
1: I am definitely evolving a brand for myself, but you know, the pieces that make me, um, I'm very proud and very honored. You know, to me, I was born into the Navy. I was a daughter, a sister And now I'm a naval officer myself. So I graduated from being a military brat, as they would call it. And, you know, I am so lucky that I get to treat the active duty and the pens. I mean, they really catch my bullets. And now being part of a community, it's especially here in Italy, being in the Navy has allowed me to work overseas and volunteer overseas. So to me, you know, those two organizations may not be initially tied, but they open up a lot of doors. So. You know, ask those tough questions, look into those things, make people think outside the box, and you might be surprised what you may discover. And I'll share one story because I know we're wrapping things up here. So I'm five foot three and I am in my late thirties. And ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to model. I know you're thinking, wait a second, we're supposed to talk about volunteering. Why is this doctor talking about modeling? <laughs> so two years ago, I was at a festival here in Italy, and it is a festival for St. Agatha. And St. Agatha is probably one of the most famous Sicilian saints in the entire country. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, young or old, where you're from, but she is someone like this guy that everyone celebrates. Well, I was asked by our Italian public affairs officer to come and judge students who were modeling, um, were having fashion dresses that were being modeling, and the winner of this would get a scholarship to work with an Italian designer. I mean, let's be honest, Italy is known for their fashion. Mm-hmm. Well, I showed up to the press release. I meet the president of the school. She looks me up and down. She starts having me turn around. She's measuring me, And the next thing I know, she's asking me in Italian to be a model in their show and wear the last year's winning dress. And I'm looking at my public affairs officer thinking I am probably 20 years older than her models. I don't know if I'm as skinny or as tall. Well, guess what? A week later, I am modeling on a fashion show in Italy which I never would dream for a volunteer organization. And I was elated. I mean, talk about a little girl's dream come true that never thought I would ever do it, but for a great cause. So where I'm going with this is, is telling your audience, like you never know where you go and the impact that you'll make or the people that you're meet. So keep your mind open because life is meant to be lived. And that is what I truly have done every single day since I've joined the Navy, lived overseas and being a volunteer for life.
0: As you're talking, I'm thinking of so many stories where just the most unexpected things happen. I was in the right moment at the right time and opened up.
1: Thank you so much for having me on your show. It has been a distinct honor and pleasure. And I am happy to share any way the audience can reach me if you would like to share um, those handles as well on your podcast.
0: Absolutely. I will put all that contact information and anything you want into our show notes and that and th- Thank you, Corinne. You are an inspiration. And I love talking with you. And again, thank you for your service and for your, your leadership in the community and teaching us more about how to become better leaders. So thank you so much for that.
1: It's my pleasure. Have a wonderful day. And as they would say in Italy, ciao, Bella. <laughs> ciao, Bella.
0: Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Volunteer Plane Talk podcast. Big thank you to Alternate Timelines for the use of their music. For more Volunteer Management Talk, or if you just want to reach out to me, please visit my website, volunteerplanetalk.com. Or you can catch me at Meridian Swift on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Until next time, this is Meridian Swift. Thank you, and Bye-bye.